This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, I'm excited about the show today because we're going to be talking about recovery and rediscovery after loss with an expert in this field of grief and loss. She's not only had personal loss, but she's written a wonderful book about recovering from loss called Midlife Maze, Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss. So I'm excited. Heidi, you want to introduce her? Sure, I'd love to. Um, As you said, Mom, we're going to be talking today about recovery and rediscovery after loss, and we're going to be talking with Dr. Janice Johnston. Dr. Janice Johnston is a counseling psychologist. She has been a school psychologist, a supervising psychologist, and a private family therapist. She is also the author of Midlife Maze, A Map to Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss. Welcome to the show, Janice. Thank you. I am happy to be here. It's great to have you on. And uh, I, I like this idea of talking about midlife because I was telling you before uh, we started the show that our number one visit at Open to Hope is adults who've lost a parent. And, uh, you know, I know you lost your dad is even in his 90s, but uh, yeah. people, I think, sometimes are, are really thrown by the fact that these are dramatic events. I mean, they feel like it's a natural process, and, and other people maybe don't empathize with them as much. And uh, so let's start out by having you tell us what midlife is. When is midlife? What's the definition? Sure. Midlife takes in the ages from 35 to 64. That is a huge developmental age span. I did not make up that range. It comes from a longitudinal study called MIDAS that stands for midlife in the United States. And that time span is so important in people's lives. It's the time when you might raise children or you might raise a career, but it is a busy, busy time. And when loss strikes, you just feel overwhelmed because you're already trying to handle a lot of responsibility. And it's a time when you might lose a parent, right? It is definitely a time when many people lose a parent. Of course, other people in the family might also die. It happens that there are so many miscarriages, and in our culture, we barely seem to recognize that particular loss, but it's a very poignant one for people who so want to have a child. Mm -hmm. And Heidi, you identify with that, right? I do, because I lost, uh, I had two miscarriages between the ages of 35 and 64, well, they were in my, my later 30s. But, uh, yeah, so I totally identify with what you're saying and with the time frame as well. And like you say, they are very minimized losses, and we lose not only our pregnancies, but we lose the future we were going to have. Yes, it's a loss of your dream. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. And then you can have those other difficult, difficult losses, like you lost your your husband in your 50s, right? Yes. Yes. It's very difficult to lose a loving spouse. That That's hard, especially during that time frame, because, I mean, I worked with 9-11 widows for 10 years in the fire mm. department in New York, and uh, they lost their spouses between 35 and 64. Most of them were, you know, in their 40s and 50s, and it's very—they said it was very strange to be a widow and be so young, because when you think of widow, you think of somebody that's much, much older, um, and they, that, that term was difficult for them, and just being— solo, kind of being, you know, not married because they felt like they were and was also strange at that point. Yes, I totally agree with what you're saying, that to be a young widow or widower is just very difficult. And this is not to take away from the grieving that a person in their senior years, Mm -hmm. might also experience the loss of a spouse. But it's just that at midlife, there seems to be so much vitality. You feel vital yourself, hopefully. And when you lose someone, when you didn't expect to be losing them at that age, it's shattering. It, It really is. So, Janice, what what helped you after the death of your father and the death of your husband? What helped you to find hope again, and what helped you to transform your loss? Well, a couple of things, and I write about them in Midlife Maze. I think one of the easiest exercises for people who have experienced loss to try and put into their life is called a gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. Many people have talked about this, and it's a quite simple thing. It involves having a sheet of paper or maybe a small notebook. You could do it on the computer. I happen to like writing for, for this particular practice. But every night before you go to bed, you think of one or two things that you are grateful for that day, and you jot them down, and it really serves two purposes. It helps you go to sleep because right before you tuck in, you're thinking, oh, I experienced what? The visit of a friend, something uplifting that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. But it also serves a purpose for the next day, and Maybe it's a tough day because grieving does not just travel in one direction. I'm better, I'm better. Oh, now I'm really better. Grieving is more of an up and down kind of process. And if you're having a really bad day, hopefully you can tune into that thought, oh, I'm going to write something tonight that I'm grateful for. What can I be grateful for today? And it might be really small. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I kept for a full year after my husband died, and then a second full year after my father died. And I, you know what? I love that because helped. Heidi and I present quite a bit, and there's actual research, right, Heidi, on gratitude. Absolutely, it's the number one way to shift your energy. Yes, and it actually changes Indeed. your brain chemistry. 
Yes, indeed. I don't. I don't you, think you, people uh, realize that you that are right can on really do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does change your brain, and what I write about in the book is how you can either call the loss in your life as a trauma, and that is one way of looking at it. But trauma is a noun, and I prefer to look at it as my loss is a turning point. How can I turn? Maybe it's not just one corner in your mind, but how can I turn several corners so that I can be in the present moment today? Because this is the day that you can live today. I love it. And, and I know you say, I read something where you said uh, that loss and change are fertilizers for new dreams. I love that. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, we all sometimes need a little fertilizer. And guess what? It doesn't just come out of the air. It's something that you you make a turn, you do something, you take action, and that action makes a difference for you. What kind of an action did you take? Do you have a specific thing that you might recommend to somebody taking an action? Yes, I think leaving your comfort zone, maybe you are having, let's say it's a bad day because that can happen with loss and grieving. But instead of curling up and not leaving your home, maybe you think of who you might call that might enjoy a visit from you. So thinking of others. Of course you want to think about yourself. You want to think about how you can have self-compassion, but actually it's connected to how you have compassion for others. These things are linked. So having compassion for other people, I started volunteering more when ah. I needed to make a turn in my life. And it, it ended up being one of the more useful things that I think I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I know some people, uh, particularly on, on tough times like Thanksgiving or Mother's Day or whatever, they think about volunteering at a soup kitchen. I've heard a couple of people have said uh, it, they've even gone over with the rest of their family members. Yes. Yeah, you yes can... I have known people who have done that as well. Yeah, my kids even go to a food pantry and stock shelves and mm-hmm. stuff, and they love doing that with mm-hmm. fish schools. So there's so many ways out there to be of service and to volunteer. And, and my mom and I always say, you know, even if you're letting people serve you, you're being of service because you're being of service to them. Because early on in our grief, sometimes that's the only thing that we can do. So I love the idea of turning Absolutely. our grief outward to service. Mm-hmm. So the specific action that I took, one form of volunteering, was through becoming a master gardener. Oh, I like I that. I took ah. the coursework. And then I volunteer and give talks in the Lurie Garden in Chicago. Oh, I love that. Well, that's wonderful. And, it, and for the soil and, and doing things nature. like that for many people or um, being out in nature is such an important mm-hmm. uh, part. I 
love that. Well, you, you talked something about the pinwheel model of bereavement. We've all heard a lot about the Kubler-Ross, you know, denial, anger, depre- depression, acceptance. and But you talk about a pinwheel model. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I think that Kubler-Ross did all of us a great service by outlining some stages of grieving. But even Kubler-Ross admitted years later that people were misconstruing what she had said. It's not a linear kind of staging. All people do not start with denial and then move to anger and follow. And some people aren't even angry. Exactly. Exactly. Anger is not there for everyone, but some kind of sadness usually is. Mm -hmm. But what the pinwheel model does is I think it fills in the gaps. It just talks more about the complexity in grieving. So it was through a group of nurses at Loyola University Chicago who worked on the pinwheel model. So if you picture a toy pinwheel and the wind as the loss, somehow the wind blows through and it could be sudden or it could be people who have a serious health issue and it takes a while before they die. But if you see the wind as blowing the pinwheel either at a fast pace or a slow pace, that is the initiating loss. But through that center of the pinwheel, you consider a person's history. How resilient was this person prior to their loss? That's a really important factor to consider. And then the nurses talked about many of the stages that might happen, but it's not a linear kind of thing. One of the more important ones, though, is yearning. And I think that captures a lot of what grief is about, mm-hmm. that idea of yearning for what you are missing in a person. I remember, you know, you actually yearn and search. When my son was killed, I remember, uh, and Heidi will probably talk about her experience with it, too. We've talked about this before, but looking every, you know, to seeing a blonde-headed kid around his age and, and yearning or looking for him in places that he has been. I, I remember I literally had a stiff neck for yearning and searching it. You had an experience, too, didn't you, Hyde? Um, well, I just um, felt that I saw him a lot and um, would run up to people yeah. and think that it was him for years and years and years. I mean, it didn't. I, I knew yeah. he was dead on a rational level, but for some reason I kept thinking that I saw him, and it lasted a long time. It does. It it does. And a few of the other points from the pinwheel model are a holding desire, holding on to what was good about a person, and seeking meaning, seeking support, and valuing what is it that can provide meaning in your life. That is so important. Mm -hmm. So I look at the pinwheel model as just filling in some of the details. 
of Kubler-Ross's excellent work. That sounds great. I, I love uh, some of these ideas about about the yearning because she didn't talk about that. Um, somebody uh, said the other day I was reading uh, uh, some notes about a woman who was going to be on the show, and her her brother said to her, which I thought was really interesting, and he was compassionate and everything, and they'd gone on for a while, and he said, you know, your family needs to develop a new history. And I thought about mm-hmm. that as the family you have now, you need to develop a history. And I thought about that. That's brilliant. We don't have a history with the family as it now is constituted mm-hmm. right after a loss. Yes. Yes. Well, it's like a hole has occurred. And I think people try to fill that hole in many different ways. Some people take to alcohol. Um, People take to all kinds of things for solace, but actually the externals are not what pulls you through. It's being able to understand who you are and what your value system might be that is more likely to pull you through. I like that. And who you are in life without the person that you loved physically here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like a new identity that you're trying to establish for yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which can, which and can... to that point, mm-hmm. one thing that I found very effective in my private practice was helping people draw a personality map, mm. starting with a centered sense of self. So having an idea that Inside of each one of us, there is a core, a place of calmness, a place where you feel rooted. And then around that core are all different kinds of personality parts. And some of them are at odds with one another. Some of them are pretty much opposite parts. But over time, you can change your personality It used to be thought that personalities were set in plaster, that they were pretty well set. But actually, that's not true. We know now that there's much more plasticity in personalities and that you can change. You can grow and you can look for ways that you might change your personality for fitting today's needs. And that's another thing that can pull you through. Mm-hmm, that you can change your... Well, and I love the idea of being cha- changing our personality. I mean, we're not stagnant beings. We're constantly becoming and reinventing ourselves and transforming. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're not stuck and unless we want to be. And I remember when my sister was 18 years old. She was very shy growing up. I know my mom remembers the story. And we started, she came to college and she went to the same college I went to and she was going to rush for a sorority and she was very shy and she came up to me and said, Heidi, I don't know what to do. I'm very shy. And I said, you know what? You need to pretend you're not shy because you're going through rush. (laughs) And she goes, I don't want to be shy anymore. And I said, then don't be. Nobody knows you here. Be be whoever you want to be. And she totally transformed herself freshman year of college into a completely different personality type and it was interesting watching her she was still at the core herself but she just of made course. an effort more and became a lot more social and a lot more outgoing than she'd ever been so like you mm-hmm. said we can we can 
move into those places. And sometimes you have to kind of fake it till you make it. You know, when, when you're do, when you're doing that. But I, I wanted to th- I want to leave us on that note, Janice, and I want to thank you so much because um, you've given us some great ideas today, and I love like my mom said the idea that you view loss as fertilizer for new dreams because it really is. And uh, thank you for being a guest on our show today. Well, thank you, and I so appreciate the good work that you and your mom are doing. It's wonderful because this is not a topic that our culture is very comfortable with discussing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much, and uh, thank you for discussing it with us, and uh, I know it's really going to be helpful. So, so, Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Janice. And thank you to all all of those that are listening today. And we at Open to Hope just want to say, if you've lost hope, please lean on mine, my mom's, and Janice's. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.